I'm Warren Berkeley with the Laurel Heights Church of Christ, and we are continuing our journey through the book of Proverbs with just a few more class sessions left. I've recently experimented with a video capture. Due to equipment failure, I'm back to the audio capture with the slides. We are pleased you have logged on to hear this and study with us in this class from Proverbs chapter 30. It begins, the words of Agur, or the sayings of Agur. General consensus is, attribution for these still belongs to God through Solomon with various editors or copiers. You can do some additional research into that, but in this class, we are focused on some of the content in Proverbs chapter 30. I want to take us over to verses 18 through 20 to begin. This section, Proverbs 30, 18 through 31, is sometimes called the numerical Proverbs. You'll see why as soon as we begin to read. In the Hebrew culture of Solomon's time, there were numerical sayings or riddles designed to make an observation or convey wisdom. So far as I'm aware, we really don't have anything parallel to that in modern culture. So that makes these sayings somewhat difficult, but as we apply some thought and effort, I believe we can learn what these are about. Even if our conclusions are approximate, there will be practical outcome for us, and then at some later time, we may want to revisit these sayings. Are you ready? Here's Proverbs 30, 18 through 20. This is from the English Standard Version. Proverbs 30, 18 through 20. Three things are too wonderful for me. Four, I do not understand. The way of an eagle in the sky, the way of a serpent on a rock, the way of a ship on the high seas, and the way of a man with a virgin. This is the way of an adulteress. She eats and wipes her mouth and says, I have done no wrong. Right away, you see why these are called numerical proverbs. Three objects of wonder and then a fourth. A very simple observation would be, it seems the first three things illustrate something and the fourth is the point of the riddle. Hold that thought and we'll get to that. First, I want to talk about that word wonderful. We often think of the word wonderful as good, positive, valuable. For instance, in Isaiah 9 and verse 6, Jesus is called Wonderful Counselor. Navigating words in the Bible, however, requires that we consult the context where the word is used. Sometimes it may not be morally valuable, just something that amazes man, something that we don't perfectly understand, but it gets our attention. It causes some wonder. So three things are wonderful, not that they hold moral value, but they cause wonder or awe. An eagle in the sky, for many of us a rare sight, but it causes wonder. 
We are impressed by the agility, the craft of that majestic bird moving through the sky with dynamic ease and without leaving a trace or trail of its movement. How about the snake on a rock? I usually don't stay around to watch that. I keep my distance. But again, to see that creature move without feet or wheels is a wonder. Again, movement which generally leaves no trace, certainly no footprint. Then, a ship on the high sea. While ships or sea vessels are made by men, they are dependent on the current of the water, wind, weather, and unseen deep currents impact how that ship moves, causing wonder, movement leaving no trace or tracks. So these three causes of wonder illustrate movement that leaves no trace behind. My take on this, when you get to number four, the way of a man with a virgin, the next verse needs to be added. While sexual attraction, courtship, and romance may cause wonder and may be hard to trace or subject to analysis, there is a sober sense of caution and discipline when that occurs. A man may be mesmerized by a virgin and his approach, his movement, may cause some wonder that is hard to track not subject to in-depth analysis, but there is danger in that. Though it causes wonder, there is danger in it, and the writer uses the riddle to make a point about the way of an adulteress. And in this particular case, he says, she eats and wipes her mouth and says, I've done no wrong. So you observe courtship, It is hard to detail the emotions and attraction as the man moves toward the object of his affection. That movement may be hard to document and analyze, but it can end in disaster. There is a wondrous mystery about courtship, yet it can end in disaster. Now, We always look for principle. Principle means something true that applies not only in this case. The principle here is an act that is against God's law, but the violator shows a callous indifference. There are some who are tempted and fall into sin and immediately know they've done wrong. Godly sorrow leads to repentance. Here is a case where the violator not only has no godly sorrow, but revels in the act just committed. This fits the pattern of the moral fool in Proverbs, the rebellious attitude toward the Creator that says, I don't care. I'll do this again. She says, I've done no wrong. When we sin and defend ourselves in that sin, there is double wrong. When we do wrong and claim we haven't, we are setting ourselves up for the wrath of God. So as mysterious and wonderful as romance may be, it can end in disaster. And it is a disaster in any temptation to sin and then to gloat about it. All right.
you have my present understanding of that Hebrew riddle. I think now related to this to some extent is verses 21 and 23. Verses 21 through 23 in Proverbs chapter 30. Under three things the earth trembles. Under four it cannot bear up. A slave when he becomes king and a fool when he is filled with food, an unloved woman when she gets a husband, and a maidservant when she displaces her mistress. Same structural numerical formula. Three things, then the fourth. In this case, it looks like things that are earth-shaking, something associated with an upheaval, not normal. When a slave becomes a king, the subjects of that king realize there will be an upheaval. Great change is generally the result. Number two, a fool, when he is filled with food, excessive appetite, perhaps energized and nourished by food, the fool throws himself into his pathway of error. Number three and four, a little more difficult, an unloved woman, when she gets a husband, a maidservant when she displaces her mistress. One way to see this is people who find themselves in unexpected positions of power. The slave who is elevated to king status, the fool energized by a big nourishing meal, an unloved woman who finds a husband, a maidservant who receives a promotion, she is now in charge, Here's another translation. There are three things that make the earth tremble. No, four it cannot endure. A slave who becomes a king, an overbearing fool who prospers, a bitter woman who finally gets a husband, a servant girl who supplants her mistress. What is this about? I see here an observational proverb. Not everything that happens here on earth is routine or expected or the way it was before. There is a passage over in Ecclesiastes that may help us understand this. In Ecclesiastes 9 and verse 11, Again, I saw that under the sun the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor riches to the intelligent, nor favor to those with knowledge, but time and chance happen to them all. This is a case where the message may be, here is something to be aware of. Events do not always unfold on earth exactly as we expect. There's time and chance. So this is something to just be aware of as you interpret experiences that you observe or encounter. Still in Proverbs 30, we're at verses 24 through 28. Proverbs 30, 24 through 28. Four things on earth are small, but they are exceedingly wise. The ants are a people not strong, yet they provide their food in the summer. The rock badgers are a people not mighty, yet they make their homes in the cliffs. The locusts have no king, yet all of them march in rank. The lizard 
you can take in your hands, yet it is in the king's palaces. These are observational proverbs with a numerical riddle inside them. It may be difficult to read these and immediately see the point. In some of the previous proverbs we've studied, you read the sentence and you immediately see the point. It's an imperative, a prohibition, or a warning. These require some thought, almost like a puzzle. And the truth is there. You just have to take your time to get it. If I were pressed to state the point or principle here, it would be the observation in verse 24, small but exceedingly wise. The ants are like a people who do not appear to be strong, yet they provide for themselves quite well, unless man's poison intervenes. God gave these little creatures just exactly the survival skills and instincts necessary for them to be relatively independent, small but wise. The rock badgers, different translations will use the name Coney or Hyrax. They look like ground squirrels or groundhogs, and they are commonly called rock rabbits in some areas. Their real estate is in the rocks, small but wise in finding a place to live, locusts. If you've seen one, not very intimidating, but in mass, collected together, moving together, they can become a plague, small but wise. Lizards we are familiar with here in the Rio Grande Valley of Texas. I don't know how you would keep them out of your house. They get in every now and then. From time to time, you'll spot one. They are mostly harmless. Grandkids will pick them up and play with them. They are small but wise enough to gain entrance into a king's palace. So the point here seems to be small but wise. Here's what I believe we need to take from this. There is a mentality very common in modern society that big is always better. There is an assumption that small means inferior. So in our society, common mentality is big is always better and small always means inferior. And with some people, this becomes an obsession, wanting big houses and big cars, larger than life, big is best, and small is considered inferior. The Bible doesn't play into that cultural emphasis on what is big. Jesus talked to his disciples about mustard seed. And then read Luke 15 about the good shepherd leaving the 99, the bigger flock, to search out the one lost sheep. Small is not inferior. And here in Proverbs... These examples are numbered to make the point of the value of wisdom, even when packaged in a very small container. Now let's apply that. We live in a time when many are looking for big religion, big churches. Uh, there is something often referred to as the big community church movement, and people rush to the large community churches where 
Everything they want is provided in a big performance fashion without consideration of what the Bible says ought to be our emphasis, our guide, our authority. When looking for a local church, the first consideration is not how many are there, how nice the building is, how convenient the location is. No, our first consideration ought to be Are these people doing what the New Testament says churches ought to do? It might also be said that big churches sometimes have big problems. All churches are composed of imperfect people, so no matter the number, problems and challenges arise. It is, however, not wise to get locked into a numbers game or an emphasis on what is perceived to be big. Are we doing what the New Testament says churches ought to do? So listen again. Four things on earth are small, but they are exceedingly wise. The ants are a people not strong, yet they provide their food in the summer. The rock badgers are a people not mighty, yet they make their homes in the cliffs. The locusts have no king, yet all of them march in rank. The lizard you can take in your hands, yet it is in king's palaces, small but exceedingly wise. I have two final points. The mystery of romance is not a value in itself. It depends on where it, where it leads, what it leads to. It is easy to be captivated by the mystery of romance and courtship, but hold off on the approval till you see where it leads. Things that are small, people who are unknown, churches with just a few, must never be dismissed. Small things can be exceedingly wise. One source said, The little animals here provide important lessons for human beings about surviving wisely despite severe limitations. God equips his people to survive, to thrive, to grow and be servants, even though we may not be what the world considers popular and big and amazing. Christians, do what you can in your realm or spheres of life, and don't worry that it isn't considered big. Plant the little seeds. And remember, It doesn't matter if you live in a palace, the little lizards can get in. Thank you for listening.